If you enjoy what we're doing with the podcast, please remember to consider subscribing to the YouTube channel or whatever podcast app that you're listening to this on. I really appreciate that as well as the reviews that you leave for us and uh, liking the video. That all helps us a lot. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're really happy to have you. And we do this every week. Um, We have people's testimonies of the supernatural, a lot of times NDEs and uh, New Age Jesus testimonies, and how it all points back to there being one truth. Thank you again for listening and supporting the podcast. If you have a spiritual or a supernatural experience that makes you feel good, does that mean that it all leads back to the one true God? Our guest discusses how his NDE and deceptive out-of-body experience, as well as his time teaching and exposing yoga, as well as his other supernatural encounters with God, have led him to discover that there's only one true way to truth. That and more on this week's Spirit Answers podcast. Well, I'm very honored to have on the podcast with us today, Pastor Mike Shreve, uh, just an incredible resume, and I'll go over uh, some of his accomplishments accomplishments here before we get started. He's the author of uh, such books like In Search of the True Light, Seven Reasons I No Longer Practice Yoga. Uh, he was also a former Kundalini Yoga uh, teacher at four different universities um, and the founder of Shreve Ministries, The True Light Project and Deeper Revelation Books. Pastor Mike Shree, welcome to Spirit Answers Podcast. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I'm very, very thankful uh, for, for you and all the work that you've done to spread the truth and for your time today. It's, it's certainly my honor. Um, so before we get started, I, I want to preface this conversation just by saying that you have some of the most incredible encounters with God I think I've ever heard uh, in someone's testimony, uh, particularly uh, I'm thinking about th- there's one in India that we're going to get to and a, a, an encounter with God as it relates to uh, a, a traveler in a van that help you find truth in Jesus Christ. But before we get to that, your a, a big part of your testimony really begins with a near-death experience. So can you take us uh, into how that came about? Well, when I was 18, I was a rock musician. I was living that kind of lifestyle and really had no inclination toward spiritual things. And I, I had a near-death experience where it felt like my soul was leaving my body and going off into this throbbing dark void and speeding up. I never saw anything. I never had any kind of apparition appear to me, but it was a sensation that my physical life was about to end. And so thankfully I came back from that bad experience, but I was never the same because I didn't fit in at the parties anymore. I didn't fit in in the college scene anymore, because even though I was pursuing a double degree, one in oceanography and another in orchestration, uh, it all seemed futile if I didn't have answers that were eternal in nature. And so I dropped out of college with one intention, and that was to search for God until I found him and to search for truth until I discovered it. And I had no idea where that journey would lead me. But the first step was to meet an Indian guru named Yogi Bhajan and to learn his view of how to reach ultimate reality or God consciousness, as Mm -hmm. New Agers and Hindu people call it, an awareness 
uh, level that I was coveting, I was desiring. And unfortunately, it was not the correct path to lead to a relationship with God. A couple things there uh, already that I want to touch on. One, going back to the near-death experience, you know, uh, there are, there are several different types of near-death experiences that people have. Some of them tend to line up with the Word of God, Word of God, and some of them not so much. So I'm wondering, did you have enough information in your near-death experience to ascertain if that was a, an experience of the true God or of the enemy? No, I never had any sense of any kind of cosmic presence or any kind of uh, personal God that was wooing me to himself. Uh, I just uh, had this confrontation with death that has showed me real quick and very clearly that I was living a self-centered life. So I don't believe it was quite as supernaturally profound as some other people have experienced. And I agree with you that I believe in some near-death experiences because it lines up with biblical truth. But I think sometimes people who are not walking with God end up having an experience that is deceptive, that is delusionary, and it gets them off the right path because of it. Uh, thankfully, mine just shook me up and made me realize an egocentric life doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I agree with you 100%. I think that God knows our hearts, and I think that um, just in the same way that he might allow us to to be deceived by, say, uh, you know, a Ouija board and thinking that we're communicating with the spirits of dead loved ones or being deceived by a psychic medium, um, I, you know, I think, think that it's the, the same holds true for near-death experiences. I think that there are some, like you were saying, uh, that, that are of truth and line up with, with the Word of God, and I think that, like with many other uh, spiritual experiences, uh, types of uh, situations or uh, encounters, the enemy is a master of uh, taking what, you know, God has meant for, for the benefit of other people and putting his spin on it. And I think trying to muddy the waters. So uh, we see that with healings in the new age and we see, you know, false healings with the new age, as opposed to uh, actual, you know, real healings that are, that are from the, from God. Uh, we see that with, you know, prophecy and, and then the mirror image of that in the new age being, um, you know, going to a psychic medium and, and receiving knowledge that way. I really think it's the same thing with near death experiences. And I just, I, I want to touch on that because I've, I've had some people reach out to me and just, and ask me about near death experiences. And I appreciate your take on it because I think that they can be a very, they can trip people up and they certainly, the experience itself certainly shouldn't be the end all be all in terms of, uh, you know, what, what we take away from, from that in terms of what we, uh, what, what our truth is, what are, are we taking a certain truth from the near death experience or does the near death experience line up with truth as is found in the word of God? I think that's, that's the barometer in which we need to measure these experiences by. And, uh, so yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. And I, I had not seen you touch on the, the, like exactly what you had encountered in that near death experience. So, um, I appreciate you sharing that with me. It just sounds like overall it was, uh, it it changed it. It was a powerful moment. It made you realize there's something much greater than yourself. Thank God I didn't die because I would yeah. have died without the knowledge of God. And yeah. so it a stumbling block became a stepping stone, and a curse became a blessing. And God does that. He takes negatives and turns them into positives. Right. Yeah. He's he a total master at that. Obviously, as being the creator of everything it's just incredible to see how he does that well beyond anything a human can can do 
Um, and I wanted to also touch on too, you've already mentioned that um, after this near-death experience, your your spiritual foray uh, kind of started with a, a Kundalini Yoga master or guru, but it didn't go back to your Catholic upbringing. You, you, you decided to take an alternate path here into uh, more of Eastern spiritualism. And so I'm wondering what what about this Kundalini Yoga guru was so appealing to you as opposed to your uh, Catholic roots? Well, back in the latter 60s, it was very trendy to believe in a Far Eastern approach. Of course, the Beatles were promoting that by following Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And so it was a wave of New Age influence that came through the country. And that was, I believe, quite a bit of the reason I turned to Eastern religions, just being a part of that megatrend. But also, I felt like it was more logical, more loving, and more tolerant to believe that all religions were different paths to the same God. And it seemed to me intolerant and divisive and even hostile to say there's only one way and all the other ways are wrong. And so that kind of pitted me against any views from my Catholic upbringing. Also, I became disenchanted with Christianity because I judged it by my Catholic upbringing. And of course, I participated in rituals and ceremonies and embraced certain dogma, certain uh, theological ideas that seemed Christian, appeared to be Christian, sounded Christian, but they didn't lead me to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was never born again. I never even heard about being born again. And yet Jesus made that essential in John chapter 3. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom. And except a man be born of water and of the spirit, which I believe is a reference to natural birth, uh, the breaking of the water in a woman's womb, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't comprehend the things of God. Why? Because, well, now I realize being born again means the spirit of God entering into you and then you have access to the truth because you're reunited with God. Well, yoga attracted me because it seemed so loving to say the spirit of God is already within every person. So to find God, you look within. And that sounded appealing. And also the kind of pantheistic mindset that we are all God in expression was very ego driven, although I thought it wasn't at the time. So there were a lot of things that attracted me to that mindset. It, remi it, it reminds me of uh, what we were talking about just a, a few minutes ago. We started this conversation as it relates to the near-death experiences. You know, many of these near-death experiences have different – people come back uh, a lot of times speaking to someone, and many of the different types of conversations that these people are having with their – a lot of times it's, a, you know, an quote angel or spirit guide – people's conversations, the true, the quote truths that they bring from these experiences don't like They do not line up with other experiences. It's the same thing here with it, with new age beliefs and, and alternate spirituality outside of what we find in the word of God. Many of these different beliefs do not line up with each other, but it's so hard to see that when you are getting involved in this. I think that the, just the, I've, I've mentioned this before, just the wow factor of the idea that there's something more to life than just the physical realm, I think blindsides you and uh, you're having these, these miraculous, wondrous, all filling spiritual encounters 
it's really hard to take a step back and look and see how things line up and how they don't line up. And well, uh, so, uh, well, go ahead. Another th- I'm sorry. I thought you were no, finished. Uh, another thing that really turned me toward Eastern religions was the promise of the supernatural, like you're mentioning right now, that the guru I went and listened to uh, said that through meditation, through chanting mantras, through doing asanas and pranayama, which are the physical exercises, the breathing exercises, and various yogic disciplines, that we could achieve God consciousness, that we could walk in this awareness of the reality of God. Well, the Catholic Church never taught that. It was basically devotion to an organization and devotion to rituals and ceremonies, and it seemed dry and empty, which religion really is. And I wanted a supernatural reality. I didn't understand that Christianity in the New Testament is infused with supernatural reality. True Christianity is uh, the beacon of light that this world needs. And as you mentioned, all these other supernatural and uh, paranormal things that people go after are challenging counterfeits to the real thing. Mm. Uh, They mimic the true experience of God. They mimic the true experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'd much rather have the real thing. And thank God that's what happened when I found the Lord. And it was a miraculous series of events that led to my salvation. It had to be God. It had to be divine intervention. It certainly was not something I really sought after. It was more like something that sought me. It it came after me. And uh, I'm eternally grateful that God did that. Yeah, really well said. And one thing that I've come to find in, in, in my short walk with Christ is that he, he just like many other things in life, he, he showed me that, yes, if we pursue him there, oftentimes not not for everybody, uh, but, but oftentimes there is brushes with the, with with the supernatural. And I think that that's part of the miraculous relationship that we have with him. But he doesn't overload. He doesn't overload us the way that the enemy does, because I think that, you know, he knows that that it's very easy to fall into the trap of pursuing those experiences over the relationship with God. And pretty soon you're worshiping the experience over God. And I think that's very, it's true with anything. It's true with, you know, overloading yourself on, on food, uh, pursuing, pursuing, uh, you know, relationships, human relationships over a relationship with our creator. I think that the enemy is so, unfortunately, he, he knows us so well. He's so masterful at getting us to be distracted with these things that God has meant to be gifts for us, whether that's a, an incredible brush with a supernatural with God or, uh, you know, e- even like, you know, I think about, you know, sexual intercourse, for example, things like that, that, that God meant for, for good and to be used in a healthy way that the enemies tries to, tries to blindside us. And it becomes very, very difficult to, if we're pursuing these experiences or, or these things, these things that satiate our flesh over God to have that, to have a, a good walk with our creator. Uh, and I, yeah, so I just think that this is no different here. Um, one thing, one thing that I think you've already kind of started to address here is is that is Kundalini Yoga and uh, some of its characteristics. What are some of the differences between Kundalini Yoga and uh, regular yoga? Well, the yoga that most people are familiar with is the basic form of yoga, which is referred to as Hatha Yoga, and that involves, as I mentioned, asanas, which are physical exercises, and pranayama which are breathing exercises. 
And these are the third and fourth steps toward the final eighth step called samadhi in Hinduism. Patanjali taught that there are eight limbs of yoga or eight steps that lead to this oneness with God called samadhi. And the physical exercises and postures are not just for your physical well-being. In fact, almost all the exercises are assigned to uh, individual Hindu deity. In fact, on my website, thetruelight.net, I have an article called 10 Yoga Poses That Offer Worship to Hindu Deities. And it's quite surprising to a lot of people that some of the basic yoga poses are acknowledgments of these individual gods and goddesses. And so automatically it's going to connect you with the spiritual realm, whether you're knowledgeable about it or not. But most people get involved in Hatha yoga just to uh, have a good exercise regimen to tune up their bodies. Many of them are not really involved in the idea of promoting their own spirituality by doing it. And so uh, they are inadvertently connecting with the spiritual realm in the process. And I, I get phone calls from all over the world of people who have had Kundalini awakenings and it got out of control. It was something that was driving them near to insanity. And it started just because they went to a Hatha yoga class. They weren't really even trying to achieve some kind of cosmic consciousness. And a Kundalini yoga, on the other hand, is geared toward that goal of awakening the Kundalini. Now, I've got to explain what that is. The Kundalini is something that is envisioned as a coiled serpent-like uh, energy force at the base of the spine. And every human being has this dormant energy, supposedly. I don't believe it now, but I believed it when I was a yoga teacher. And that it's the essence of divine life within every human being. And that when you do yoga, especially if you're involved in kundalini yoga, it's all geared toward awakening that serpent power that travels up through the spine like a, a serpent, and it goes through something they refer to as chakras. Now, chakras, again, I do not believe in any anymore. I thought they were actually existent energy centers, spinning energy centers in the body. The one most people are familiar with is the third eye, supposedly right in the forehead. And then the crown chakra is the seventh chakra. And supposedly, this kundalini energy passes up through the spine to the third eye and the crown chakra, and then you merge with the infinite cosmic force called Brahman. Brahman is ultimate reality in Hinduism. Brahman is an impersonal life force that permeates everything. Uh, Brahman uh, is the power, the universal power that emanated the universe out of itself. And I did say itself. It's not himself, it's itself, it's a neuter uh, uh, presence that uh, permeates all things. Like, for instance, the life of the tree, the life of a cat or a dog, the life of every flower, the life of every human being, that's all this universal life force. Well, when you do these kundalini yoga exercises that are geared toward the awakening of the serpent power, we were warned by the gurus I studied under that if we 
happen to have that experience prematurely if we had not prepared ourselves with uh, the first two steps, yama and nayama, which are devotion and self-discipline. If we had not properly prepared ourselves for the supernatural experience, dark occultic powers could be awakened or we could have encounters with evil spirit beings, demonic-like spirit beings, or we could even go insane if we were not ready for the awakening of the Kundalini. And I'd like to insert here that there's absolutely no account in the Bible of anyone having a true experience with God that caused them to have the arousal of dark occultic powers or encounter evil spirit beings or go insane. If anything, it's quite the opposite. It awakens the gifts of God in your life, and it also brings you into a level of love and peace and joy that gives you a sound mind. And so if those experiences can be very negative in the end result, then what is the source? And I think it's kind of blatantly revealed by the image of a serpent, because biblically, I should have picked up on it. I should have remembered enough of my Catholic upbringing to know that a serpent represents Satan and a serpent represents evil and that I was tapping into an evil power, not the power of God. And thank God I discovered that in time before I had a terror experience. I did have supernatural experiences. I did experience what seemed to be uh out-of-body experiences, astral projection is what they call it. And also one time I went into this brilliant white light that I thought was God. But again, it was this counterfeit for the real experience of God. It was this intense, white, supernatural brilliance that was like an impersonal force, but it wasn't God. And it was a false experience that gave me uh, a false assurance that I was actually going down the right path, but I was on the wrong path altogether. Speaking of the path that you were going down, uh, eventually you start teaching, as, as we alluded to at the top of the interview, uh, your own yoga classes. And this was, uh, we mentioned as well, major universities. Uh, so can you explain to us how this started, uh, how you started teaching, and also the uh, newspaper article that you took out and how that was such a uh, incredible stepping stone in your finding truth. Well, I really had a genuine love for people even before I got saved. And when I began to feel a semblance of peace through meditation and yoga, and really, I, I believe that peace comes just by virtue of slowing your mind down getting in a calming kind of environment, uh, being meditative and not having all this frantic mess going on in your mind all the time. You're going to experience a semblance of peace through meditation and yoga. It doesn't mean it's the peace of God because it's not. It's a human soulish kind of peace. But I, I did feel like I was becoming a more peaceful person and a more loving person. So I wanted to help others. I left the ashram where I was living in Daytona Beach, Florida, which I had helped to form. And I told the rest of them I was going to go to the Tampa area and start a yoga ashram there and also go into the universities. And it was like the doors flung open before me. I started an ashram and I began teaching at University of South Florida. 
University of Tampa, on a, a school down in Sarasota called New College, which was a very progressive school. And also, surprisingly, shockingly, I taught my biggest yoga class at Florida Presbyterian University. Wow. They should have known. They really should have known they were opening the door to something that was non-biblical and uh, demonically invasive in people's lives. But anyway, I had about three, maybe 400 students who revered me as their guru. And the word guru, incidentally, comes from two root words, gu and ru, that mean out of darkness into light. And so the whole idea is that if you have a guru, his job, his role is to lead you out of the darkness of sense consciousness into the light of God consciousness. But the problem was I couldn't lead anyone into the light because I wasn't there yet myself. And you can't take someone to a place you haven't been yourself. And so I was very, very involved and my classes were growing. And the Tampa Tribune newspaper heard about me. And so they decided to send a reporter out and they did so to one of my classes. I believe it was the one at University of South Florida. And they, uh, this lady interviewed me and uh, I thought it would increase my class attendance. I thought I would have a dramatic increase from several hundred to several thousand because it was a half page story and it was very favorable. I did not know uh, that it would alert a local prayer group to start praying for me on a constant basis. They had a 24-hour prayer chain, and they assigned somebody to be fasting and praying for me every hour of every day. And they pinned that newspaper article to their prayer board, and they were praying that God would either take false religious beliefs out of me and introduce me to the truth or take me out of their city, one or the other. And thank God, God... Uh, answered the former request. And the way he did it was absolutely incredible, amazing. Uh, because one of the members of their, well, no, I've got to back up and tell you this part of the story. During this time that I'm receiving intercession, there's, uh, I don't know, about 30, 40 people praying for me all day long, every day. And so I'm being soaked with people praying for me in a sense, in a symbolic sense. And during that time, I received a letter from an old friend of mine that was quite shocking. Larry and I had both left college to study under different gurus. And all of a sudden, I get this letter from Larry telling me that he had walked in a church and heard an audible voice say, Jesus is the only way. And the wow. Spirit of God fell on him and he said he was born again. This is the first time I've heard this concept mentioned. And I wrote him back initially and rejected what he had to say. And so when people initially reject you, don't get discouraged. Just keep reaching out. Keep loving. And I, I felt like it was too narrow-minded. And I told him that. I said to confine yourself to one religion is just too narrow-minded. I can't do that. My beliefs encompass all the religions of the world. I felt that was such a more mature way of looking at things spiritually. But his letter just weighed on my mind. And so I, I kept entertaining the thoughts and pondering the ideas of Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of humanity and, and rising from the dead three days later. I think the thing that impressed me the most, though, Alex, 
was the idea that the Spirit of God came into him when he heard that voice say, Jesus is the only way. He said the Spirit of God fell on him, and then he felt God's presence come into his heart. And that kind of grabbed my attention because, as I mentioned earlier, I taught my yoga students that God was already within them. So how could he enter from without? And, of course, the biblical worldview is the idea that God exists apart from physical creation. He interacts with people within the creation, but he's not confined by it. He's not, he doesn't clothe himself with the creation like Sikhs would teach. But anyway, uh, this man who was a part of that prayer group happened to be a part of the plan of God in reaching me because he was a former student of Yogananda. His name was Kent Sullivan. And Yogananda is a very famous guru. He wrote a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. That's one of the most powerful books out there, introducing people to the higher supernatural levels of what yogic practice is all about. And I had heard about this guy through the grapevine. They uh, told me that he had fallen away from the faith uh, and somehow gotten hung up with these Jesus freaks that taught Jesus was the only way. So. I had heard about him. He had heard about me because this prayer group was praying for me. So God's connecting things there. Uh, one day I decided, and God was very, very gracious to abide by the limitations of time that I presented to him. I asked God if, uh, if I dedicated one day to the Lord Jesus Christ and didn't do any yoga practices that day. I didn't chant any mantra. I wasn't going to chant any mantras. I wasn't going to read the Bhagavad Gita. I wasn't going to do any asanas. I just said, uh, I'm going to take one day and dedicate it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe if you're the answer, if you're the savior of the world, and if you died on the cross for the sins of humanity, I believe you will show me today. And so I started about 3.30 in the morning and all I did was read the Bible and pray to Jesus, read the Bible and pray to Jesus. That's all I did. I read the Gospel of John and I read the book of Revelation, which is a very heavy book to start out with for your initiation of the Bible. But even back in 1970, I could see the unfolding of prophetic events that the book of Revelation talked about. So anyway, I'm, I'm praying today is your day, Jesus. And if you're real, I believe you'll give me a sign. That afternoon, I was hitchhiking to teach at USF. And as I stepped out on the road, I was still uh, constantly praying this prayer, still petitioning him to reveal himself somehow. Two miles away, Kent Sullivan was walking into a laundromat with an armful of dirty clothes. And God spoke to him to uh, go back out to his van, throw his car, uh, clothes in the back, and get behind the wheel and start driving. He said, I've got a job for you to do. He thought it was quite peculiar that God did not want him to wash his dirty clothes. But he went ahead and obeyed. Thank God he obeyed God. But uh, he just prayed while he was driving and said, Lord, just show me where to go. And whenever he felt an impulse, he would turn and then go a half a mile and turn again and go a half a mile and turn again. And he came to the very spot where I had just stepped out on the road hitchhiking. It was a divinely orchestrated meeting because there I am saying, Jesus, if you're the answer, give me a sign. 
And I opened the door to the van when he pulled over and my heart jumped because on the ceiling of his van was a picture of Jesus that he had taped there. And I knew it was my son. And a few minutes later, he popped the question. He said, friend, have you ever experienced Jesus coming into your heart? I said, no, but I'm ready. When can I? He said, you can come to our prayer meeting tonight. I said, I don't want to wait for a prayer meeting. If I can be born again, I want to, I want to have that experience now. So I knelt down with him in the back of his van, gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, encountered God for the first time in my life. And I knew it was so real, so undeniable that I went to all my yoga classes that week and told them that yoga classes would no longer be conducted, that I had found Jesus. Most of my students became Christians also. And I shut down my yoga ashram and started a new life in Christ. Wow. And that was the turning point. That was the pivotal moment. Wow. I, I love that. I love that story. Um, there's a few things I want to highlight real quick. One is the power of prayer. We see that so often in the, in the testimonies that we have on this show how many people were praying for you in this specific moment that you would find the truth. I think that that can be, that can, with everything else going on, I think that that is, can be very easily lost. Just the, the power of prayer and, and the effects that that has on, uh, on our reality. And we see it yeah, so often absolutely. too. We focus. On, yeah. Yeah. I think we, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, maybe we, we even fall prey to it a little bit here on, on the show too. We, we focus maybe so much on what the enemy does and, and the power the enemy has. I think that we can lose sight of, you know, if the enemy can make X, Y, Z happen, how much more powerful is the creator of everything, the creator of the enemy? And, and, uh, the, the like you were saying, uh, the enemy uses these, uh, counterfeit measures to, to try to mimic God. How much more powerful is the authentic version of, of, uh, you know, speaking out to our creator just in the same way as, you know, trying, uh, using certain magic incantations, et cetera, certain chants, or trying to reach out to the enemy can, can get certain things to happen in the physical. How much more powerful is prayer when we're reaching out to the creator of all things, physical and spiritual. So I want to highlight that and just how incredible, uh, how much I think that that played a role in, in you finding truth. Another thing I want to highlight is, um, your, your dedication for truth is, is, um, it, it's incredible to see that because, it's very clear to me that you wanted to find the truth. You didn't care if it was from Buddhism, Hinduism, if it was a, a concept of different smorgasbord, new age concepts all roll into one. You had an inclination to find the truth no matter the cost. And Absolutely. I think God re rewards that. He, he, If you are truly searching for truth, you are going to find it. It may not always happen on your timetable, but you're going to find it. I guarantee that. And I And it's very it's very obvious in your story. And again, in other testimonies that we have, we've had on this program. And that's why I always end our shows by, by reminding people, you know, if this is, if, if this has kind of made you rethink this whole God thing or this whole spiritual thing to keep on the course, don't give up, keep searching for that truth. You, it will, God will reveal himself to you oftentimes in a personal way. Uh, if you keep at it. Um, and a lot of times it, it may be taking longer than what we want, but, but, God, there's a plan behind that. Sometimes God, it may seem like he's taking us on the long way to find him, but really it's the short way. And he's going to allow us to use those experiences that we have as, as we search, as, as we're searching for truth to then fortify our faith. And then the faith of other people, we can, we can help other people through, through those experiences. The last thing I want to say is your, your encounter there in the van is absolutely remarkable as well. And, um, 
I love when God has these encounters with us because it's so it's so different. I think when you're having a true encounter with God, a lot of times you're there's a there's a fruit born from that instead of having just a a, a, a spiritual experience over here in the corner that satiates our flesh or, or you know, just it kind of gives us gives gives us a drug like feeling that is it feels nice for a moment and then and then it's fleeting. There's a very big difference between that where you find in a lot of these other spiritualities, these alternate spiritualities and a true authentic encounter with the creator of the physical and the spiritual. It, it not only is the, is the encounter, the supernatural encounter itself incredible, but it's leading to, to fruit. You're, it's leading to truth and it's leading to you touching other people's lives uh, by way of spreading that truth. Uh, it was through this encounter that you've been able to start many of the things that we'll talk about here as, as we go on in terms of your ministry work and, and the books that you have um, uh, published through your, through your publishing company. So uh, a lot going on there in, in your testimony and uh, just, just really, I, I love, I love your testimony. So uh, just again, an honor to, to be able to share it on the show. Well, you mentioned my devotion to truth. And I think one of the major turning points in my life was when I came to grips with the nature of truth. And that was when I realized that truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. What do I mean by that? Well, some people uh, would put it this way. You can have your truth and I can have my truth and we can both be right. That's subjective truth. That means you create your own reality according to what you want. And you assign certain qualities and characteristics to the universe and to God that you want. But I believe that truth is objectively the same for everyone, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we embrace it or not. And I have a great analogy that I use for that to prove that point that I almost always share every time I've preached in India. I've shared this because Indian people tend to have very analytical minds. And this really appeals to them that if uh, just suppose that Ptolemy, the second century astronomer and geographer who taught that the earth was the center of the solar system and the sun revolved around the earth, just suppose he could meet with Copernicus, who, of course, lived about a thousand years later, who also believed that, no, the solar system is heliocentric. The sun is in the center and the earth revolves around the sun. What if they could meet together and discuss their beliefs? Is it even remotely possible that Ptolemy could have this loving, tolerant attitude and could say to Copernicus, you can have your truth and I can have my truth and we can both be right? Well, of course not. That's completely unreasonable and illogical. Because one of those views has to be right at the expense of the other view being wrong. And if truth is objective in a physical world, in a physical universe, then I would dare to say that truth is objective in the spiritual universe as well. That there are certain laws and rules and ways that we have to function spiritually in certain things we must believe in order to be whole people. And we can't just come up with it ourselves and have our own mix of different beliefs that appeal to us. It's got to be viewed as uh, something that's defined for the whole human race in a very clear way that we can embrace or reject. But truth stands unshifting. It's like a memorial pillar raised above the human race that doesn't shift for anyone. 
and we can honor the truth and abide by it and align with it and become whole as a result, or we can turn our backs on the truth and try and wing it on our own, which is always disastrous. And we're left empty, not fulfilled and not made whole. And so that was a turning point in my life when I realized that truth is truth, whether I acknowledge it or not. And the way to find victory in life is to see it and embrace it and apply it to my life. Mm. Yeah, wow, that's be beautifully said. Beautifully said. I love I love that uh, picture that you painted for us there with the deities. Um, one thing that comes up in uh, when I talk to Christians is coming back to yoga, um, or I, I guess mindfulness and mindfulness activities. But we'll stick with yoga. Is there are certain Christians that will say something like, uh, well, you know, I, the reason I practice yoga, for example, is because it gives me a feeling that I do not get when I try to pray. And, uh, they say that because of that, that is something they, they, they can't get rid of that because that's something that allows them to, uh, have that relaxation time that they think that they can't get in any other, uh, facet. So what would you say to, to a Christian who says that I, I, I'm not doing yoga to worship these deities or, or to incorporate an, an alternate spirituality to my relationship with Christ? I'm just doing it for my own quality of life purposes. How, how do you respond to that? Uh, to people who do yoga who are actually Christian, is that? Yep. To people who to do yoga who, who are Christian and say that they need to they need to continue this practice because prayer alone does not give them what they need. Well, I have a booklet that you've mentioned called uh, Seven Reasons I No Longer Practice Yoga. And I would urge everyone to get a hold of that booklet because it would take me an hour to explain the seven points, the seven reasons. But one of the main reasons is um, the spiritual contamination that yoga opens up a person to. Because especially if you're in yoga classes, I, I've i had people tell me, well, I go to a yoga class, but when they chant Om, I just say Jesus. Well, that would be like walking in a temple of idolatry and not honoring the idol while other people go through some kind of worship service toward that idol. It, it's not something God would want you to do. Uh, you can't You can't mix those two together. And the, the whole approach is wrong. Now, let me pull out one particular example. When I did yoga, I would start the day with mantra meditation. And I would chant a certain mantra for sometimes an hour or more over and over in a monotone way. And I've often said that if a meditative approach is monotonous, if it's monotone, if it's mechanical, if it's... Uh, if it's magical or mystical, then it's probably the wrong approach. Because I, I would use this phrase that was given to us by our guru. It was uh, Ekonkar Satnam Siriwa Guru. And we would, in a sing-song way, repeat that over and over and over again, which brings a calmness to the mind because of the uh, the way it just dulls your senses, so to speak. It pushes everything out except the resonance of those words. So it's kind of a false piece. But the thing is, that was supposed to be a way of burning up your karma 
and moving you along the path to God consciousness. But I tell people it's an absurd thing and it's an insult to God to think that you could achieve oneness with him by the chanting of a mantra. Because God is a very intelligent God. And to say something in a sing-song, monotone way thousands of times is not going to impress him or attract him. In fact, I like to liken it to this. If you were to go, if a woman, say, for instance, was to go and sit in front of her husband and begin to chant over and over, please take out the garbage, please take out the garbage, would it really benefit the matter uh, by repeating it a thousand times? Or would the husband think you've gone stark raving crazy? Uh, of course, it would be a ridiculous approach because that husband is an intelligent, thinking human being that responds to communication that is clear. And only one time can you take out the garbage is sufficient. And then most likely he'll respond and say, well, yes, honey, I'd be glad to. And in like manner, God is not a force that can be manipulated by the right incantation. And to believe so is to reduce him to something far less than the genius of a personal God that he is. He wants to communicate in prayer. It's a flow of conversation from God to you, from you to God. And, and that's real communion. And to chant mantras to him would be absolutely an insult to him because he doesn't respond to that. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus even said, use not vain repetitions like the heathen do because they believe that they'll be heard for their much speaking. And another factor is when you chant mantras like that, or you do meditation, mindfulness, or mindfulness meditation, rather, or anything like that, yes, you are calming your human mind, but you're also attracting demonic-like powers that will gladly give you supernatural experiences in order to woo you down that path and away from the Lord Jesus Christ. So you are opening your mind and opening your heart up to forces that are actually uh, intent on deceiving you. And so it is a, not only an unfruitful thing to do, it's a dangerous thing to do. And so I urge people not to participate in yoga class because uh, I guess the final reason of seven reasons I give in the booklet, seven reasons I no longer practice yoga, the final one is that you are endorsing a system that rejects the idea of the crucifixion of Jesus being for the forgiveness of sin. It rejects the idea of Jesus rising from the dead and providing an example of resurrection because New Age and Far Eastern beliefs embrace the idea of reincarnation. And so they reject the whole biblical worldview. And if I do yoga classes, but I'm just doing the physical aspect of yoga, I'm still endorsing the whole system. And, and uh, that would be a statement being put out to my friends, to my family, to the people I contact in life, that yoga is an acceptable path, that yoga is something that contains truth. And you can pursue truth through that avenue, which is the antithesis of the truth. It's, it's something that leads people astray. So if for no other reason, 
I tell people not to do yoga because you're endorsing a false religious concept. Mm. One of the other things I wanted to highlight on based off of what you, you mentioned there is I, I just noticed such a big difference as well. Uh, now in my two-year walk with, with Christ is so many of these alternate spiritualities really focus on escaping, uh, escaping pain, escaping the hardships of life. And of, of course, you know, our, our, our creator doesn't revel in or enjoy in, in, in our suffering. But but the Bible makes it clear that there are times in our lives when suffering actually, you know, can produce fruit. And I, I, I just look at many of these other spiritualities and I, and I don't see much of that. I just again, I see more more escapism and, and focusing on escaping. And I just come back to because there's many people that I speak to as well that think that this is all Christianity. The Bible is all made by men as a way to to manipulate people and, and, and to gain power for certain people. And I just I, I don't know if that's the way that it would if that if that it would be true. I don't think that that would be a very effective way to go about, uh, you know, con, quote, converting people. This concept of, in, of of enduring suffering and enduring pain that we find in the Bible. Um, so I think that that right there is is just another piece of evidence, another pebble in the rock, so to speak, as to, you know, maybe there is something to this to this Bible thing. There's something some truth here, because who, what I can't think of anybody when they're selling me something, they're going to say, oh, yeah, you're going to you're going to be enduring some pain here. There's going to be some some long suffering involved. Will you buy this? You know, it, it's it's just very anti uh, anti uh, human human ways of thinking and human wisdom. So, uh, yeah, that just came to mind when you when you were speaking. And I thought it was important to, to touch on that. Well, again, that traces back to Eastern religions, that whole concept uh, of escapism, as you put it. Uh, and in fact, let me read something to you. It's out of out of my book, In Search of the True Light. Please. That compares over 20 religions. And uh, it's available as an ebook as well as a physical copy online. But see, I, I want to take you to Buddhism and what Buddha taught. Buddha taught that we find God uh, rather, I'm sorry, that we find an experience of nirvana by following something he called the Eightfold Path. And that's what I wanted to take you to. I'm uh, trying to find that particular chapter where I deal with it. And because it's all about escape from suffering. The four noble truths in Buddhism are the idea that life is filled with suffering. That's number one. Number two is to overcome suffering, we must overcome desire. That's the second of the four noble truths. And we overcome desire by following the noble eightfold path. That's number three. And, and so the noble eightfold path is supposed to be a means of escaping suffering. That's the whole basis of it, escaping suffering. And I wanted to give you the exact uh, path. Yeah, here it is. It's on uh, page 241. And the Eightfold Path, really simplified, is number one, right knowledge. Number two, right thought. Number three, right speech. Number four, right conduct. Number five, right livelihood. Number six, right effort. Number seven, right mindfulness. And number eight, right meditation. Now, all that sounds really convincing. Uh, I want to do everything right. Someone may uh, 
come to that conclusion when they're trying to change his or her life, that uh, if I do this right, if I have right knowledge, right thought, right speech, right conduct, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right meditation, yeah, I can achieve nirvana. Well, there's some real problem areas in Buddha's teaching. Number one, Buddha taught that we do not have a soul and that and that we cannot have an eternal existence in a heavenly realm in a soulish state. Jesus, quite the contrary, taught that we do have a soul. And so Buddha's ideas were based on some false premises to begin with. He also was uh, not theistic in his view. He didn't teach the existence of God. He left that alone altogether. And so Buddhism is basically atheistic in its approach. And so already we've got two strikes against it. And then number three, Buddha also taught that nothing has any permanent existence. And yet Jesus taught we could have a permanent existence in a heavenly state and that there will be a permanent new heaven and new earth. And so the whole idea of escaping suffering in Buddhism is reducing yourself to a place of detachment, detachment to any desire. You don't desire a problem-free life. You don't desire a peaceful mind. You, you don't desire anything. You withdraw yourself from desire because desire creates suffering. That's the assumption. That's the line of logic. And so you become very detached in the way you approach life, where you just, in a sense, go with the flow of whatever's happening and you're not emotionally involved in it. I think Buddhism is really one of the most depressing and negative worldviews to be found because uh, it, it doesn't give an answer to life that is really soul-fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people try to escape to Buddhism because they're trying to escape suffering, like you said. And that's exactly what Buddha taught. Buddha lived uh, to be 80 years old, but Buddha was just a man born of a man and a woman uh, from a natural conception. He died of food poisoning, they say, but he's still in the grave. Jesus died a much worse death than food poisoning. And yet he came out of the grave three days later and said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so uh, much, much different validation of his ministry. Buddha died and couldn't come back. Jesus died and gloriously came back to validate what he taught. And believe me, that's all the validation I think we need. The resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's coming back again. Praise God. And I believe that we are probably the generation that will see him return. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's, that's wow. It, it just makes me think of, you know, as someone who's getting there, I'm getting my master's in counseling, how many people I see that are suffering from depression and have this numbness to them. And uh, that's what, what you're describing there. It just seems like it would lead someone to that, a, a very similar state of mind where there's a numbness where you're, you're not, you're, maybe you're more numb to some of the pains of the world, but you're also numb to some, to the joys and, 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 and right. uh, the things that God has given us as a gift. And it's, uh, that is, like you said, that's, that is very sad. That's, that's a, that's a, that's very depressing. 
but I, but like you said, it starts off with a really, that's a, that's a seductive uh, way to start off in terms of those eight different ways that someone should uh, carry themselves. Like you said, wanting to do what's right. It certainly is appealing. It is. It is. And I actually admire Buddha in one respect. When he was 29 years old, he was the son of a Raja, uh, Indian Raja, and lived uh, pretty much the life of what we would call royalty and lived in luxury. And he went outside of the royal compound where his family had kind of uh, protected him. And he saw what's been termed the four sights. He saw an old man, a sick man, a corpse, and an ascetic. An ascetic is someone who denies himself or herself in extreme ways to achieve ultimate reality. And he was jarred from a self-serving mentality and couldn't live in those opulent surroundings anymore. So he went off in the woods and for six years meditated and finally... Finally, he claimed to have this experience of ultimate reality called nirvana. And instantly the word nirvana comes from a root that means blowing out like the blowing out of a candle. And it means cessation of personal existence. So ultimate paranirvana is uh, when you cease to exist as a personal human being. And, uh, and that's not the biblical forecast for your future at all. You will mm. live forever as a personal being that's been completed and perfected through the resurrection power of God. And so give me Christianity. It, it forecasts a much better future. If you're just going to base your belief choice on that, uh, you've got a much better future awaiting you as a Christian. Bringing it back real quick to when we were talking about uh, supernatural experiences bearing, bearing fruit, there's one particular, uh, encounter with the supernatural with God that you had in India that I would, I would love for you to share with us. And, and it relates to, um, uh, preaching to, to, I believe it was pe uh, Hindus out in India and specifically with, with the deaf. So can you tell us what happened in that encounter? I was in Kumbakonam, India, and I was told that I was the first Western missionary to hold an outdoor meeting in that city. And we had uh, quite a few people gathered. It was, uh, I don't know, a crowd of maybe 5,000 people. A lot of them were sitting on a wall that was around the field where I was at. And some were sitting on roofs of buildings outside the wall. And the inside was just crammed with people. And I preached for about an hour to a majority of Hindu people. I believe most of the crowd that gathered that day was of a Hindu mindset. And there were a lot of Christians there too. But I still felt this enormous pressure against me. It was like I was being choked the whole time by the demonic infestation of the atmosphere because I was surrounded by seven huge Hindu temples that could house thousands of worshipers. The biggest temple, they said, could house 20,000 worshipers at one time. And there was a labyrinth of uh, underground tunnels uh, from one Hindu temple to the other, and you'd walk 50 feet down through that tunnel and come to an alcove where there's a, a deity, an image, and fruits and flowers and incense being offered up to that deity, and then walk another 50 yards or 50 feet and another little alcove. And so I'm surrounded with 
this multiplicity of gods and goddesses. And there's a huge baptismal pool in the center of the city where thousands of Hindu people could be baptized at one time where they'd stand in the water and pour water over themselves in the hope of washing their sins or their karma away. And so it was much of a spiritual atmosphere. And I preached for about an hour and I could tell, I could sense intuitively that this audience did not comprehend what I said yet. I knew that if I made an invitation, if I gave a call to the altar, that there wouldn't be very many respond. And so I was in a quandary as to what to do. And then all of a sudden, what's called a word of knowledge came to me. And I, I sensed, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I sensed within myself the voice of the Lord speaking. And I, I heard him internally tell me to call for the deaf and tell them if what I've preached was true, that every deaf person would hear again. And I was a little nervous, of course, to hinge the night on whether or not deaf people heard again but I knew it was from the Lord. I didn't know how important it was. I probably would not be alive tonight if I had, or during this program, I would not be alive if I had not responded to God that night. Uh, so anyway, I went ahead and put all out the challenge and they brought seven deaf people. Four of them were totally deaf. Three were deaf in one ear. And I started to pray for one that was totally deaf. He was a, about a 23-year-old young man who had been deaf for five years and laid my hands on his ears because the Bible said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I am not a cessationist. I believe that everything God did in the New Testament, he still does. The gifts of the Spirit uh, were never outdated after the first century. Uh, and what the Holy Spirit did then, the Holy Spirit does now. He hasn't changed. God is the same to a thousand generations. But anyway, as I was praying for this person to receive his hearing, I heard a horrible sound behind me. I found out what it was a little later. These Hindu radicals, a group of six of them, had climbed up the stairwell behind the platform, and there was a big, about a 20-foot-high gate that was supposed to prevent break-ins, and there was a big padlock on the gate. Well, they brought a sledgehammer with them and they were banging at that lock. And while I'm trying to pray for this young man, it's distracting all the preachers on the platform. Everyone's wondering what's going on. It's distracting me. And in my mind, I was thinking, I can't afford to be distracted because I've just hinged the salvation of all these people on whether or not this person hears again. And incidentally, when, when you pray for a miracle like that, you normally have to use an authoritative prayer. I believe it's called the prayer of faith in the Bible. You don't beg God to heal the person. As his representative, you command that person to be healed, to receive your hearing, to receive your sight, to receive uh, uh, deliverance from whatever condition you're praying against. And that's the biblical account we have in the book of Acts. That's the way the apostles prayed. They made an authoritative decree for a person to be healed, which is what I was doing. And all of a sudden the gate swung open and I turned around to see what was happening. And these six men came running toward me with a very angry look on their faces. I didn't know that their plan was to beat me up publicly and to tie me to the bumper of their car and drag me through the city 
until I was dead. And I asked them the next day why they wanted to do that to me. And they said, we wanted to discourage missionary activity in our city. I said, well, if you'd done it, I would have been discouraged. If I could have felt anything, I could would have felt discouragement. But God had the thing so ordered that right when I turned my head to see them running toward me, the man that I was praying for jerked out of my hands and started screaming, I can hear, I can hear. And wow. the crowd went wild with praise toward God and uh, with wonder. And the man who was the head of the Hindu radical group got wide-eyed. I did not know again until the next day when I met with him that he was the next door neighbor of the man that just got healed. So he knew it wasn't false. He knew it had to be true. And he walked up and began to test the miracle and shook his head like Indians do and said, this is truly a miracle, and called all of his men over, and they began testing by whispering in his ear and having him repeat it back. And I falsely assumed that it was a checking committed committee uh, that was appointed by the pastors to verify the miracles so they would be more believable. And uh, little did I know the truth. Uh, and so I prayed for the second person, and after the second person was healed, I asked the checking committee or what I assumed was the checking committee to, to verify that healing too. And they whispered in that person's ears and they repeated it back. And all seven people got healed and I gave an invitation and about 500 Hindu people came forward to give their lives to the Lord, including the six men that came to beat me up and murder me that night. And so uh, it was an amazing thing. And I was told, I don't know this for sure, I'm 90% sure, that uh, years later that Kumbakonam became a center of Christian outreach because the 700 Club built a studio there. And so God did something very profound to tear down a stronghold in that city that uh, I believe resulted in an outbreak of revival and churches were formed as a result. That is one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard. And uh, I think it it just highlights sometimes I think we can make things a little more complicated than what they are. And when your life is on the line, I think that's very understandable. But it really does all come down to submitting to God and trusting that he He has a, a plan for us and that uh, he, he knows what's right and he's going to bring us through. And that's exactly what you did. And I think it, it it's very, very easy to start overthinking things when, when emotions are heightened, think logic, you know, gets thrown out the window, but it really right. just comes back to that submission to God. And wow, what, what, what a powerful story. What an incredible testimony. Um, God's still a miracle worker. Yeah. And I, he does those things. And there's a, there's an amazing truth that sometimes he heals and sometimes he doesn't. And because of that, some people, lose faith in that aspect of the Bible, but it's all through the New Testament. And uh, I can't preach without also preaching that God still heals the sick and we need to expect it. He said, you have not because you ask not and you. Uh, and therefore, if we don't ask, we are limiting ourselves when God wants to grant us what he paid an awesome price to deliver to us. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that plays right into to the enemy's hands. I think he wants us to 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 not even ask. Right. You, uh, many of the things that we've talked about today, you have uh, 
in both yourself and other people uh, have in story form and book form by way of Deeper Revelation Books, which is your publishing company. And I want to take uh, a little bit here to to talk about how that came about and what people can expect at Deeper Revelation Books. Well, uh, I just happen to have, I didn't plan on this, but I happen to have some of the books we published here. Our most popular book is The Shattering by Jessica Smith. Phenomenal she book. Was, she was a Reiki healer and a yoga teacher traveling back and forth to India. And she had an amazing encounter with demonic powers that proved to her that she was delving into an area that was dangerous. And it led her, of course, to a salvation experience. Very, very powerful story. We recently published another book called From Cows and Cobras to the Cross of Christ by Prima Sangar Singh Pelletier. She was raised in a Hindu temple and very devoted to Hinduism. And Jesus came to her in two dreams. And then my book uh, is, oh, I'm sorry, I showed you the back of the book. Well, you know, I'm, I might mention that that picture in the background on the back cover is actually a picture of me back when I was a yoga teacher in wow. uh, Lotus, Lotus position. And so you can see it in the background of the book back there. But this is a book that I wrote because, well, I wrote it for people I love. I love anyone who's a truth seeker that hasn't found the Lord yet. I love all the human race and I want to win everybody to God, but I have a special empathy and a special longing to reach those that have devoted their lives with intensity to yoga, to meditation, to Buddhism, to Hinduism, to Edgar Casey prayer groups or whatever new age things they're involved in. They want to live a life on a higher level of spirituality than most normal human beings that are just bound by the senses and indulging in the flesh. I have a special desire to reach that group of people. Well, about the year 2000, I, I was witnessing to somebody that was a new ager, and I thought I need to go buy him a book. And I went to the bookstore, Christian bookstore, and all the Christian books written on the new age were very critical and harsh and used demeaning terms. And I thought, that's not the way to reach people. I loved God intensely when I was a yoga teacher. I just didn't know how to get to God. And there's a lot of sincere, real people out there that truly love God and they love truth and they love the idea of finding God and finding truth. And a loving approach is much more effective. And so in this book, In Search of the True Light, I never even used the word cult, even though technically some of the groups I was involved in were cultish. Still, by labeling someone that way, you're kind of slapping them in the face. And so I appeal to people as seekers, and I honor them for that. Even though I draw a very definitive line between truth and deception, I still try to do it with respect and love toward other people. And uh, I compare the beliefs of over 20 religions in this book. I, I believe it's something God gave me to give to others. And uh, it's available on Amazon as an ebook. Or it can be ordered through Deeper Revelation Books, deeperrevelationbooks.org. Or um, it can be 
ordered off of Amazon as a physical copy also. You asked how the, the book company came about. Well, around 1985, I published my first book, and it was just a company that was a wing of our ministry for publishing the books I wrote. But then around the year 2003, God spoke to my heart to open the doors to publish for other people. And we've published for, I guess, about 80 authors so far. Wow. And some of our authors have achieved a, a place of real exposure and prominence. They've been on some major television programs and and had major awakenings and and great ministries birthed in their lives. Uh, we uh, published a book. Let me see if I've got a copy of it. Um, no, I don't have a copy of this one, but we published a book for Jan Willem van der Hoven, who is the founder of the Christian embassy called Babylon or Jerusalem, a very prominent individual over in Israel that has had a lot to do with the building of bridges between Jews and Christians. And then recently, we also published this book, God and the 12 Steps by Gerald Sharp. And it's taking the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and infusing those steps with biblical principles. And God and the 12 Step meetings are being uh, raised up all over the country, all over the world, really. And people are being delivered from drug addiction through the implementation of that course. And so I, I see how powerful books are. One book can change a nation. One book can change a generation. One book can change a culture. And God knows how powerful a book is. That's why he's got one. It's called the Bible. But other books inspired by God can be used by God to impact people's lives. And so I believe it's a very important part of my ministry in reaching others. And we have four divisions to our company. We have the nonfiction division, which is deeper revelation books. Then we have the fiction division, which is pure heart publications and the children's division, which is children of promise. And then the success and leadership division, which is called pivotal publications. So we have a lot of different types of books, all biblically based and all of them geared toward promoting the gospel. Mm. Praise God. So incredible. And I, that was something that I, that I spoke with you about before we started recording is how, how much I appreciate your approach to, to uh, ministry, which is, uh, like you said, not from a condemning point of view, but you're really reaching down and, and, and speaking people's languages where exactly where they're at. And it's exactly the way that I think that God reaches us. And uh, hopefully, you know, like even at, you know, here at Spirit Answers podcast, we try to to do just a little bit of that as well. That's why we, you know, the, the aesthetic of the podcast is the way it is in the title, trying to speak, uh, meet people exactly where they're at, because if you're coming at them from a, from a high place, it's just really hard to, to be speaking the, the same language. So I, I, I really appreciate that about your ministry and in your books. Well, the motto of our ministry is speaking the truth in love, which mm -hmm. is Ephesians 4 15. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's my goal. Yeah. Well, you, you do it incredibly effectively and, and obviously the results speak for themselves. And I want to give an opportunity to show people. And as always, we have all these links in the descriptions or in the description, both on YouTube and the podcast apps uh, where people can interact with with everything that Pastor Mike is up to. The first being his uh, the truthlight.net site. And Pastor Mike, can you give us an idea of what's there? Well, the truelight.net. Excuse me. True light. Up, yeah, the truelight.net. Mm -hmm. Make sure you get the word the, T-H-E, because 
just by itself. The other two words will take you somewhere else. But uh, on the truelight.net, we have many testimonies of people who were formerly adherents of other religions, but now embrace Christianity. We also feature uh, video podcasts, quite a few that deal with very relevant comparative religion subjects. And there's quite a few articles that deal with issues that are answers to questions a lot of people have. Like one particular article is, is there only one God? And another article is, are the adherents of all world religions worshiping the same God? These are questions you hear quite often. Also on the truelight.net, you'll find this booklet, The Highest Adventure Encountering God. This is an amplification of the story I shared on your interview program today, where I go into much greater detail about my own salvation. And I bring out some comparative points between my former worldview and the biblical world, biblical worldview I now embrace. This is a free download in English and in, I think it's five other languages now. It will be seven or eight in the near future, but it can be downloaded in Spanish, in German, in Portuguese, in Hindi, and in, uh, let's see, there's another language. Oh, oh Japanese. In oh, fact, wow. we've had three major uh, people involved in in yoga in Japan. They were very prominent people in the yoga culture in Japan, have become Christians as a result of reading that booklet in Japanese. Wow. And so uh, I urge people to come. It's free. And all you got to do is just put your name and email address in there, and we email the book to you, and it's a free download. The Highest Adventure, Encountering God. Mm. Incredible. Also, uh, we've been talking about this as well, deeperrevelationbooks.org, uh, where you can find all of the different books that Pastor Mike has mentioned today. And uh, I was going to ask you, are, are you personally working on, on anything right now yourself? Uh, yeah, I've got about eight book projects going wow. right now. Wow. Uh, okay. So, uh, yes, I, I definitely do. Uh, but uh, I do want to mention that if someone wants to publish a book, either a small mini book or like the one I just showed you a few moments ago or a full length book, that's what we do. And if it's Bible based, if it's a Christian book, contact us, go to Deeper Revelation Books and you can submit your manuscript uh, by, um, I'm trying to remember the exact name of the category, it's online submission form, online submission form under publish with us. Scroll down under publish with us and you'll see the online submission form. We'll evaluate the manuscript, we'll get back with you and let you know what the cost would be and we provide distribution. Uh, we are hooked up with some of the biggest distributors, in fact, the biggest distributors worldwide. And so we offer that service. We also post a person's book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And actually, after it's all over, their book is available on over 20,000 online uh, sources. And so uh, it, it's very helpful where you don't have to go through the learning process yourself. We've been doing it for what? 35 years. So you get the sum total of all our experience, experiential knowledge, and we just guide you through the process of publishing. It's a service to the body of Christ, I believe, and God's blessed it, and it's helped a lot of people. Mm, really, really cool. 
uh, want to touch on the, the you have a couple of podcasts as well. The first one, uh, Revealing the True Light, Comparing the World's Religions. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Well, that's always uh, on comparative religion subjects or subjects that usually bring in controversial doctrinal issues biblically. Uh, and it's revealing the true light because the basis of it is the book I showed a few minutes ago, In Search of the True Light. And if somebody's interested in subscribing to it, of course, it's free. Uh, they go to shreveministries.org and uh, go to media and then scroll down to podcasts and it will give you all the information on how to subscribe. Also has another podcast, Discover Your Spiritual Identity. And can you give us a little uh, idea of that one? Well, one of my main areas of biblical teaching is summed up in a book called Who Am I? And Who Am I? explores the revelation of 52 names God has given his people, like the bride of Christ, the church, the apple of God's eye, the anointed, ambassadors for Christ, the redeemed of the Lord, a royal priesthood, and so forth. There's over a thousand names that belong to the people of God. And on Discover Your Spiritual Identity podcast, we go into, uh, usually each program is one particular name God's given us. And I expound on that name and bring forth the meaning of that name because there's over a thousand names and titles that God has given his people, like the salt of the earth or the light of the world. And when you see all of these names and titles and what they mean, it's like this huge panoramic view of your spiritual identity as a Christian, as a son or a daughter of God. I find it to be one of the most edifying discoveries that any person can ever come into. It's like a vein of gold in God's word. And it, it brings wholeness and boldness into people's lives because they find out I am who God says I am. And so they're not groping for their identity anymore. They've discovered it. And they can, uh, again, go to shreveministries.org and look under media, go down to podcast, and it will tell you how to sign up for Discover Your Spiritual Identity podcast. And you can uh, also get the book, Who Am I? And it's 52 chapters long, one for every week. You can have a devotional every week as you study out who you are. And in fact, Alex, I'd like to send you a copy of this just as a way of saying wow. thank you for having me on your show. Well, that, that's really, really kind of you. I really appreciate that. And like I said, the honor is all mine. And I uh, want to finish as well with with uh, your your ministry website, shreveministries.org, uh, where you said that, uh, well, from what I understand, you can, also, you can get in contact with you, uh, keeping uh, up to date with everything that you're doing in, with the ministries. And it sounded like there were some links to the podcast there as well. Right. Uh, or at least uh, the, the link is an explanation about where to go. Okay. What, uh, what uh, cpnshows.com is where our host is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and also we're on, uh, oh, what's the name of it? Uh, uh, Spotify. And mm -hmm. we're on a couple of other online locations. So, um, yeah, shreveministries.org. There's uh, some sermons there, uh, audio and video that people can uh, lock into. And also I might mention our YouTube channel 
And this is very important because we post all of our podcasts, video podcasts on our YouTube channel. And we also post all of our TV programs on our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And it's youtube.com slash Mike Shreve Ministries. YouTube.com slash Mike Shreve Ministries. And we invite you to come and subscribe to our channel because then you'll get, of course, a notification when we've got a new posting. And I believe... Uh, the teachings there will be of great benefit. We've got 24 TV programs on different names God has given you in his word. And we've also got some other things, some other items I believe would be a blessing. Awesome. Well, I have it there as well. And I will make sure to include that in the descriptions uh, for, for this YouTube broadcast and also the podcast uh, different, you know, on Apple and, and so forth. Well, uh, Pastor Mike, this has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, this has been one of my favorite conversations that I've had in, in, in this the history of this show. And I cannot thank you enough for, for taking the time to join us and sharing your testimony and everything that you do to spread truth. I, I really, really appreciate it. Well, I'd like to end, Alex, by saying that if there's anyone watching this program who hasn't yet been born again, I just invite you to ask Jesus to come into your heart and be Lord of your life. Some people... Uh, do not think that's an essential approach. And yet Ephesians 3.17 says, Christ will dwell in your heart by faith. And then it talks about the word of faith in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I believe vocal confession is important in inviting the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. And, uh, I'd like to just pray a prayer and you can just pray this prayer after me. Repeating the prayer won't necessarily give you the experience of being born again. And so uh, it's a good step that direction and certainly something God, I believe, responds to. But just keep seeking his face until you're assured that you've truly come into a covenant relationship with him. But if you would, please, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, just say this after me. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for the salvation of my soul. I receive you into my heart as Lord of my life and as my Savior. Cleanse me from all sin. Wash me in your precious blood. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. By faith I receive the gift of eternal life. May I be born again right now by the promise of God that you have given and by the Spirit of God that regenerates my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, you, you doing, doing my job for me. I always do that at the end of the show. So oh, <laughs> no, no, you're, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. And, uh, like I said that I really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's, it's been an absolute honor and, uh, I'll be, I'll be praying for you and thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you again. Thank you. Well, that is it for this week's show, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed that. I love Pastor Mike Shreve and everything that he's doing. Um, I think it's just so important that we we showcase, especially in this day and age where I think deception is more rampant than 
we've ever seen in our lifetimes. How, yes, there may be some similarities between uh, all these different spiritualities of the world, but there are very important, very crucial differences that separate them as well. And I think especially for somebody that's just getting into spirituality for the first time, that can be so hard to decipher. Um, so I love the work that he's doing. Please support him and uh, everything that he's doing there with his ministry and, and, and his YouTube channel and, and books. Uh, we, need, we need more people like him out there. Um, and please send in your testimony as well to uh, spiritanswerspodcast.gmail.com so we can keep this thing going. If you have your own New Age to Jesus testimony or Supernatural Encounter with God, NDE, whatever it is, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, we can't keep this thing going without your help. And just thank you so much for all you do to support the podcast. Even if you're you know, just listening, that means a lot to me. Um, thank you also for sharing this with somebody that you think could find some benefit from it. And uh, that is all for this week. I will see you all again next Thursday. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.